Mark 11. We're continuing on with our series, Faith to Receive. And today we're going to talk about possessing your possessions. Possessing your possessions. And I'll just very quickly kind of summarize what we talked about last time. Um, here in Mark 11, verse 22, it says, um, Have, Jesus said, Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. And uh, the center reference of my Bible says, Have the faith of God. And we've talked some in our past series about what it means to have the faith of God. And uh, Sarah, if you go on the website in the archives, you can find these previous series and you can catch up with us on what we've, we've already studied along this line. But um, we are faith children of a faith God. And in verse 23, Jesus said, For verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say. So faith involves saying. Faith involves speaking. Faith involves believing and speaking. And you already know how to do this. You already know how to walk by faith because you've already done it at least once. You got born again. And the same way you got born again is the same way you receive your healing, the same way you got born again, is the same way you get filled with the Spirit, the same way you got born again, is the same way you receive your wisdom and direction. So we know how to walk by faith, but there's a huge misconception, uh, you know, in the church about uh, what it means to be a Christian and so forth, and so that's, we're, we're talking along these lines. Uh, we're, there, we have centuries and centuries of religious tradition taught instead of the Bible, and so there's a lot of confusion uh, about this along this line. So we're, we're talking about what Jesus said, what the head of the church said, um, and so we're, we're continuing our study about having the faith of God and what it means to have the faith of God and how to release it. So faith involves believing and speaking. We talked about in Romans 10, uh, Paul referred to the spirit of faith and he told us what faith does not say. He said, faith does not say who will go up to heaven and bring Christ down. Uh, to, to heal me? Who will go up to heaven and bring Christ down to bless me? Who will go up to heaven and bring Christ down to change the situation? He said, faith doesn't say that. He said, faith doesn't say who will descend into the deep and raise Christ up from the dead to come change the situation. No. He said, you don't need Jesus to come down here and change the situation. Your salvation 
your healing, your wisdom, your prosperity, your answer is as close to you as the word of God in your mouth and in your heart. That's the word of faith which we preach. We talked about believing is a choice. And God has required that we believe him without seeing or feeling. We need, I don't know if I mentioned this last time or not, I meant to, but we need to totally eradicate these words from our vocabulary. I just can't believe. I just can't believe they did that. I just can't believe this is happening. When you catch yourself saying that, you, you stop yourself and you say, no, I'm a believer. I can believe God. I choose to believe God. So we need to eradicate this phrase, I just can't believe that. And you hear it all the time, and it's easy, uh, you know, to pick up these things from the world. So let's make a conscious effort to eradicate those words. And when you catch yourself saying, I just can't believe that's happening. No, you say, no, I can believe. I'm a believer. I choose to believe. You're, you're training your spirit to believe God on purpose. And we've got to retrain our spirit to believe God on purpose. So let's eradicate these, these kind of phrases from our vocabulary. Let's say this out loud. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm only moved by what I believe. Now here in verse 23, Jesus goes on to say, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe what? Believe, believe something specific. He said, when, when, what things soever you desire when you pray, there's something specific he told us to believe. You know, some people say, well, I believe God's able. That's good. I believe God is all-powerful. That's good. But that's not what Jesus said in verse 24, we're to believe. He said specifically, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So in verse 23, he's talking about exercising faith to speak against something in your life that needs to go. You speak to the sickness. You speak to the dead. You speak to the symptoms. You speak to the unforgiveness. You speak to the storm, and you command it to leave you. And in verse 24, he's talking about asking God for something you desire, and receiving it. So we got two different applications of faith here. Now, how many Christians do you know who are doing this? In John 10 verse 10, Jesus tells us who the thief and destroyer is. And it's certainly not God. And some people are confused about who the good guy is and who the bad guy is. And it's because of what they've been taught. Jesus said, Satan is the thief. And since he's the thief, we don't have to take it. 
What does the Bible say we're supposed to do about the thief? Resist him. Not agree with him. Resist him and he will flee. Most of the organized church as a whole does not believe this. It's a whole lot easier to say whatever happens must have been the will of God. No, God's will is, it, is that we resist the devil. If it's stealing, kill, killing, and destroying, it's not God. You speak to, to Satan. You say, I command you to leave me. I command these symptoms to leave me. You leave my family. You leave my business. You leave my body. And Jesus said, when you believe what you say comes to pass, it will happen. Jesus said, you will have what you say. So anything good is from God, and there are people who are confused about what is good and what's not good. But we know from the word that healing is a good thing, protection is a good thing, having more than enough finances is a good thing, peace is a good thing, wisdom and direction, these are all good things. Let's, uh, and Jesus goes on here to say specifically, that when we ask God for these good things, there's something specific we have to believe. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Let's say it out loud. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Believe you receive healing and you shall have healing. Believe you receive wisdom and direction and you shall have wisdom and direction. Believe you receive the money to pay your bills and you will have the money to pay your bills. Now the word receive here uh, in verse uh, 24 means to take with the hand, to take to oneself, to take possession of, or to seize. Jesus didn't say, you know, believe you receive it when you feel different. No, he didn't say anything about our feelings. Uh, we, we're, not, uh, we're not receiving according to our feelings or our emotions. The way you receive from God is to believe that you take it. Believe that you make it your own. Not by your feelings, not by your emotions. When you got, when you asked Jesus into your heart and you repented of your sins, uh, you received something. You received eternal life imparted into your spirit and something really happened. Something really happened. You were made the righteousness of God. Not when you felt like it. You were made the righteousness of God when you believed in your heart. You know that, that uh, Jesus is Lord and God has raised him from the dead. You were really saved. And you can be really healed and you can be really blessed. Now let's turn to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. We want to focus here on the word boldly. What does boldly mean? Uh, 
confident, isn't it? Yeah, you're sure you're you're sure about something. Boldness is uh, being sure about something. You can be bold when you know something. It, you, it's confidence and it's courage because of something that you know. It's not presumption. It's not brazen. It's not haughty. It's not arrogance. It's just the result of being sure of something. You can boldly say you're saved because you're sure about it. You, you know. You know you are. Nobody can talk you out of that. And you can boldly say that. You're not hesitant. You're not ashamed. You can talk bold and you can act bold when you're sure that you know something. Verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain. Now the word obtain, that sounds like receive, doesn't it? Very similar word, that we may receive or obtain. You can boldly come to God and ask and receive because you know that you belong there. You know that what you're asking for, He wants to give it to you and already has given it to you for the most part in most things that we're, that we're praying about. You know He's already given it. You know He wants you to have it. You know you belong there. And this is one of the greatest hindrances to faith among Christians and especially those from a religious background. And that would probably include every single person in this room. Because <laughs> that's probably where most of us came from. People have sat in church for centuries, and they have been taught that they are unworthy to ask God for something, and especially anything of a material nature. Unworthy to expect, unworthy to receive, unworthy to ask. And this is a sin consciousness and it has been pounded into people for years and it is why we have this begging mentality and the, the organized church is a whole. That's where it came from. And this begging mentality is, is of the old covenant. That, that's, that's of the old covenant. You know, if people even have enough courage to ask at all, if they even got enough courage to ask God for anything at all, they, they come to him with this unworthy, kind of crawling, groveling uh, approach to God and apologizing for ever mis reminding God of every mistake they ever made. And God's forgotten all about it. <laughs> you know, he doesn't want you bringing up all your mistakes. He's already, he's already forgiven. He's already cleansed you. He said, boldly come and receive. And the reason this begging mentality is so prevalent is because people have no revelation about what Jesus has already bought and paid for them to have. They, they don't know God wants them to have it. They don't know it belongs to them. And it's a lack of confidence to ask and to receive. And it's the opposite of boldness. So once you're born again, you're no longer a sinner. You used to be a sinner. You're no longer a sinner. You're no longer unworthy because Jesus has made you worthy. Jesus made you righteous. You can come boldly to him and ask and receive. And this is the mentality of the new covenant. 
believer who knows who they are in Christ. No sense of guilt, no sense of inferiority, no sense of condemnation. And religion does not teach this. Religion constantly reminds Christians of their sin. And I'm telling you, you just go into some of these churches and you just listen. I mean, you can't even take communion without all this groveling, you know, and bringing up all your sins, you know, that's already forgiven. We're supposed to come boldly and receive. We're, we're righteous. We belong there. We belong at that communion table. We're not crawling up there like orphans. We belong there. And, and uh, religion constantly reminds us people of their sin, and that's Old Testament mentality. Those, that was the purpose of the law, was to remind those people of their sin. And in and, and the book of Hebrews says they couldn't, their, their uh, sins, their consciousness of sin could not be purged. Until Jesus came, the, the sin consciousness could not be purged. And they were constantly reminded of their sin. And folks, we're New Covenant believers. You know, the Bible says when we, when we sin, we confess our sins, and God is faithful and just to cleanse us um, from all unrighteousness. So that's, that's how, you know, when we make a mistake, we just repent and we receive our cleansing. But this, this constant battering people with a sin consciousness has, has produced this begging mentality toward God. But when you know what Jesus has already bought and paid for you to have, it produces confidence and courage and boldness and you can ask and receive freely from God. When you know God's not mad at you, when you know he doesn't remember your sins, when you know he wants you to come and ask, when you know he wants you to have what you're coming to ask for, when you know he wants to give it to you, you can be bold. Everybody say boldly. boldly. Most Christians don't know that healing, blessing, wisdom, Speaking in tongues, favor, and protection already belongs to them. They don't know because they've been hearing something else other than the Bible. No hearing the word, no believing, no faith, no receiving. Religion has not taught people to be bold, and they sure haven't taught people to be receivers. Religion says, you sit over there, and you let God decide what's best for you, and whatever happens, you just accept it as the will of God. That's what religion teaches. That is not the Bible. It is confusion. Confusion from religious people who are confused, and they're confusing other people. That is not the Bible. Back to Hebrews 4.16. Let us come... Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain, that sounds like receive, obtain means to get, to gain possession of a thing. That's what Strong's Concordance says. To get or to gain possession of a thing. Young's literal translation says, we may come near then with freedom to the throne of grace that we may receive. 
you could say freely receive, that we may freely receive. Now let's turn over a few pages to 1 Timothy 6. First Timothy 6, verse 12. Do you have a Bible, Sarah? I have, I just haven't got one with me. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, if somebody had an extra one, uh, I've got an extra one in the car, but I'd be glad to let you. If you want to sit and look on with somebody, I'm sure. Uh, okay. First Timothy 6, 12. What does it say? Fight. What? Fight the good fight of faith. If, if it's God's will for us to have it, why is there a fight? If God's already given it to you, why is there a fight? Because you have an enemy. You have an adversary who will try to resist you from receiving and try to get between you and the thing you're believing that you receive. He will try to confuse you. He will use other people who are confused by him. There's a fight because you have to fight your own feelings. You have to fight your, renewed, your unrenewed mind. And you have to tell your unrenewed mind to shut up and get in agreement with the Word of God. Your feelings are telling you you don't have it. You're not going to get it. You got to fight that. You you got to resist it. You got to fight the symptoms and the circumstances. You have to fight and press through. Fight the good fight of faith. What comes next? What does it say after fight the good fight of faith? Lay hold. Lay hold. That sounds like receive too, doesn't it? <laughs> fight the good of fight, fight of faith. Lay hold. Does this sound like the popular doctrine? It's all up to God. And whatever happens is what God wanted to happen? Mm. No. Doesn't sound like that, does it? Now we're reading from the Bible. Religion has taught people not to be bold, not to expect, not to lay hold. Lay hold is, um, that, that, that is not a passive word. That's not a passive phrase. Faith is not passive. Receiving is not passive. Faith is always moving forward, never retreating. An organized religion has taught people to be passive. In the Bible, God's people were the possessors, the believers, and the receivers. Now, turn just a few pages to the right there to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. You know, this is the faith, the whole of faith chapter, isn't it? All these great men and women who are mentioned here in the great faith chapter. And in this one chapter of Hebrews 11, you will find the words, through faith 
or by faith 19 times out of 40 verses. That's almost half of this entire chapter. Talks about through faith and by faith, these people did great exploits. Verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, who through faith obtained promises, who through faith stopped the mouths of lions, who through faith quenched the violence of fire, who through faith escaped the edge of the, of the sword, who through faith out of weakness were made strong, who through faith waxed valiant in fight, who through faith turned to flight the armies of the aliens, who through faith women received their dead raised to life. Does this sound like weak, passive people? <coughs> no. No, this is not describing weak, passive people. These are not people hiding in the corner, afraid of the devil. These are bold people. These are confident people. They know their God. They know what God said he would do. They know what God has said he will perform. They know if God be for them, who can be against them? And we are dealing with centuries of misinformation about what it means to be a Christian. Religion has taught people to be weak, to be passive, and to accept whatever happens is God's will. And that is not the Bible. It is a lie. It is a doctrine of devils. What about, what about, think about the, the, the people in Jesus' ministry that came to receive. What about the woman with the issue of blood? Does she sit at home and say, well, if it's God's will for me to be healed, I mean, Jesus will come to my house. No, I mean, if she had uh, uh, the Women's Institute at her house that day, she canceled the meeting. I mean, she emailed everybody in the Women's Institute and said, the meeting at my house today is canceled. Jesus is in the area, and I'm going to receive my healing. And she got up, and she went down there. She had to fight her mind all the way down there. Her mind was telling her all the way down there, you cannot be out in public. Don't you know what can happen to you? If you go out in public, don't you know the, the law says for anyone to be out in public with an issue of blood, they can be stoned. Her mind was telling her that all the way down there to Jesus. And, and she had to fight that in her mind. She had to press through. You know, don't you know you could be stoned for even being out here? Folks, there is something worse than dying. Living like a coward. That is worse than dying. Living scared, living crawled up in the corner, afraid that the devil is going to do whatever he's told you he's going to do. No, that lady, when she got down there, she had to fight through thousands of people. There wasn't just 10 or 20 people down there. The Bible says there were as a multitude. That's thousands of people. But she didn't stop till she got her healing. That was not a passive, weak woman. What about blind Bartimaeus? He even had some physical restrictions and limitations. He couldn't get to Jesus. He couldn't see. But there wasn't anything wrong with his lungs. And when he heard Jesus was coming, Jesus, have mercy on me. And, and when Jesus heard that, he said, where's that coming from? That's the voice of faith. 
Where's that coming from? Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, bring that. And, and uh, then the religious crowd piped up and said, shut up, old man. You be quiet. You sit over there in the corner. And if it's God's will to, you know, to heal you, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll just find you. He'll just heal you anyway if it's God's will. And besides that, you're probably learning a lesson by being blind. So just learn your lesson and accept it. The religious people told him to shut up. What did he do? He got louder. He said, he got louder. He said, Jesus. And Jesus said, bring that man to me. And when he got to him, what did Jesus say? You didn't ask me if it was God's will to heal you. No, he didn't rebuke him. No, he said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, isn't that a strange question to ask a blind person? I mean, isn't it, it, it was obvious the man was blind. Why didn't Jesus just say, you know, I know what's wrong with you, don't, don't worry, you know. No, he specifically said, what do you want me to do for you? Because he wanted that man's faith involved. That man was not passive. He was not weak. He came to receive his sight, and he received. What about the paralytic man that they lowered through the roof? You know, his friends took him to, to the house where Jesus was. And they got there, and they couldn't find a parking place. All the parking places are full. There's no place to park. And they look in one room, and they say, well, that room's full. We can't get in there. And they go around the other house, side of the house, and they look in that room, and that room's full. They didn't say, oh, well, I guess it's just not God's will for, for you to be healed today. I mean, if it was God's will, you know, he would have made a place to park. And if it was God's will, there'd be room for us to get in there. No. They started looking around. And they say, nobody's on the roof. There's not anybody up there. There's plenty of room. And the man on the stretcher didn't say, hey, you're not taking me up there. Don't you know I'm afraid of heights? There's no way I'm going up there. No, they got that man on the roof, and they started ripping the tiles off. Folks, this is not passive. These are people determined to receive. They were determined to receive, and they were not going to take no for an answer. They ripped the, t the roof off. And they were not going to take no for an answer. Did he receive? Yeah. I mean, as far as we know, he's the only one that did that day. What about the ten lepers that came to Jesus and said, Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus said, okay, go show yourselves to the priests. And they said, you mean you're not going to pray for us? Go show yourselves to the priest. What did they do? They went. They obeyed. They received. They didn't hesitate. They didn't question. These people were, were strong people. These are not passive people who received. What about Jairus? What about the Syrophoenician woman that came to Jesus on behalf of her daughter? These people, these people 
would not take no for an answer. Jairus was a dignitary in town. He was a local dignitary. Everybody knew who he was. It would be like the mayor of Guilford or something. Everybody knew who he was. He came tearing through that crowd. He fell at the feet of Jesus. He, he, he just, he didn't care about his pride or being a, having some big VIP in town. He was totally focused on getting his daughter healed. Th these were not passive people. He came running to Jesus. He threw himself down. And he said, if you will come pray for my daughter, she will be healed. And Jesus said, okay, I've heard the voice of faith. Let's go. So these are people who came to take. They came to lay hold. They came to possess what belonged to them. Hallelujah. They went and they took it. Now there are two things we as Christians must find out. Number one, what God has given us. What God has given us. Number two, how to possess it. Number one, what God has given us. And number two, how to possess it. Let's turn to John 3. John chapter 3. Verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. So we can only receive what God has given. But people are not even going to try to receive what they don't know that he's given. If they don't know, if they don't even know he's given it, they're not even going to try to receive it. And many people believe that God makes all of our decisions for us. Many people believe it's up to God who's rich and who's poor. They believe it's all up to God who gets healed and who doesn't. That's, that's, that just puts no responsibility, uh, that's no personal responsibility all, at all. It just puts all the responsibility over on God about what happens in life and people have no involvement and they have no responsibility about what happens to them in life. You know, if it doesn't happen, God just didn't see fit to do it. And it was his will for whatever happened to happen. That is the thinking of, of mi millions of Christians. It's what they've been taught. And this is a major I reason. They assist the devil instead of resisting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They assist him instead of resist him. Yeah, that's right. That's good, Ann. And this is a major reason why millions of Christians are not even trying to receive from God what is theirs. They're going to churches where they don't know what's been given to them, and they create this doctrine that it's all up to God. And if it's all up to God, then there's no faith required, and that makes it a popular doctrine. 
And you can see why there's some churches, they open up the doors and 800 people automatically turn up. They have no personal involvement. There's nothing required of them. They don't have to believe anything. It's just all up to God. And you can see why that's, that's popular. Some people even take this line of reasoning e even further. And they say it's all up to God who's saved and who's not saved. They're even, they're even uh, doctrines. Uh, what's it called? Predestination? Yeah. That, that God has already determined in the eons of time who's going to be saved and who's not, and that's it, and there's nothing you can do about it. Folks, that is just false teaching. We are not robots. We are not puppets. God created man with a free will and the ability to believe and to have faith. And with our faith, we are to possess what he has given. But before we possess we have to find out what he's already given us. Has the Lord given us more than one thing? Has he given us more than a, a ticket to heaven? Has he given us more than fire insurance to escape hell? Yeah. But it depends on who you ask. According to millions of Christians, that's it. They got their ticket to heaven finished. The rest of this life, they're just going to trudge through, you know, and whatever happens, it's the will of God, and we just don't understand these things, and God's ways are mysterious, and blah, blah, blah. Many don't even know uh, there's anything else in the Bible. And if they do know there's something else in the Bible, they don't believe it's for now. It's, it's all when we get to heaven. Nothing down here, just all when we get to heaven. The organized church as a whole is very weak in this area. And most Christians, when they are born again, they are ready to go to heaven, but they are not ready for life on this earth. They are not ready for life on this earth. And that's what I am teaching. Prepare people, equip people, to rule and reign on this earth now in this lifetime and to know what belongs to you now and to possess it and, and, and to rule and reign and to Amen. resist the devil and to enjoy what God's already given us. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. You don't have to turn there, but 2 Peter 1.3 says, He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's now. Through the knowledge of Him. Through the knowledge of Him. That's a key phrase because if people don't have any knowledge of the Word, they don't know what He's given them. And, and that's the state of, of millions of Christians. The Bible says all things are yours. What belongs to us? Uh, let's turn over to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. And this is what the devil does not want you to find out. I assure you, the devil does not want you to find out what God has already given you because once you get a revelation of what God's already given to you, you are dangerous. You come up on his radar because now you are a threat to his kingdom and his activity on the earth. Ephesians 1. Ephesians uh, you know, this, this prayer that Paul prayed here 
over the Ephesians and it's concerning us as well. It wasn't just for those people. It's obviously for us. He says, um, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you know what is the hope of his calling, that you know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is, that you know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believes, according to his working, the working of his mighty power. Can you see here, God is not praying, he's not praying for God to do something for these people. He's not praying for God to do something for us. He's praying that these people will have revelation and understanding of what already belongs to them and what God has already given us. What he's already done, he's already done. That's what he's praying, that these people, their eyes will be open to that. And they will understand what God has already done for them. Righteousness is already given to us. Healing is already given to us. Prosperity is already given to us. Wisdom is already given to us. Protection is already given to us. Favor is already given to us. Not after we die and go to heaven. Now. Everybody say now. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to have any enemies in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no danger in heaven. There's no lack and shortage in heaven. Now is when we need to know these things. Now we have to lay hold of our healing. Now we have to fight the good fight of faith. Now we have to lay hold of our prosperity. Now we have to lay hold of our deliverance and our protection. It's now. You know, if somebody deposits, uh, you know, 10,000 pounds in your bank, it's not going to benefit you if, if you don't know about it. You know, if, if they don't tell you they've done it, you can starve. You know what I mean? And even if you, even when you know it's in there, you can still starve if you don't know how to get it out. If you don't know how to make a withdrawal, you know. And, you, and when you go to the bank to make a withdrawal, you don't go down there crawling and telling them how unworthy you are. You know, I, I'm really not unworthy to, to, to withdraw 100 pounds, but, you know, I really do need it. You know, uh, if it's not too much trouble, could, could you give me a 100 pounds? Or, you know, you don't go in there throwing the chair up against the wall, you know, saying, that's my money, you got to give it to me, and I want it now. No, there's a procedure for withdrawing money from the bank. And when you follow that procedure, they will give you your money. You know, but, but screaming and yelling and throwing the chairs up against the wall, they're not going to give you that money. I don't care if it is yours. They'll probably call the police. But, but they're, what I'm saying, they're, you know, you've got to know what belongs to you. And there's a procedure for, for, for laying hold. What God has provided, we must possess. And God's not the one withholding, but the devil will try to hinder you from receiving it and he'll try to hinder you from getting it, and you have to resist him, and you have to fight through the circumstances and the symptoms and possess your possessions. Now let's turn over to Nehemiah uh, chapter 9. That's over uh, kind of around... Huh? I think it's page 352 of my Bible, so 
I don't know if that helps or not, but um, it's around uh, after Second Chronicles in that area. Nehemiah nine twenty two. Verse 21, he's talking about the children of Israel, the first generation out in the wilderness. Yea, forty years did thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations, and didst divide them into corners. So they possessed the land of Sihon, and the land of king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Their children, oh, and that verse underlined the word possessed. So they possessed the land. Their children also multiplied. Thou as the stars of heaven and broughtest them into the land concerning which thou hast promised to their fathers that they should go in to possess it. Underline the word possess again. Is it chapter 9? Yeah. Nehemiah 9, verse 22, 23. We're on uh, verse 24 now. So the children went in and possessed the land. Underline the word possessed. And thou subduest before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and their people and the people of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they took strong cities. Underline the word took. They took strong cities and a fat land. That means a rich land. And possessed houses. Everybody underline the word possessed. Possessed houses full of all goods, possessed wells digged, possessed vineyards, possessed olive yards, possessed fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat or rich and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. God gave this land to them, but that wasn't the end. They had to get up they had to arm themselves. They had to go in and possess the possessions that God had already given them. This was the will of God for his people. It's still the will of God for his people, and it has not changed. Uh, Malachi 3.6, you remember what that says. For I am the Lord, do you know what the rest of it says? I change not, for I am the Lord, I change not. He didn't say, I am the Lord, and I am totally unpredictable, and you never know what I'm going to do. No. I am the Lord, I change not. But the people that went in and possessed their possessions here, these were the second generation, not 
the first generation that God originally instructed to go take the land. The first generation did not go up and possess what God had already given them. The first generation did not enjoy what God had already given them. Did they fail to possess the land because it wasn't God's will for them to have it? No, it was obviously his will. He's the one who told them to go. It obviously was not his will for them to stay in the wilderness. But I've heard that preached. I've heard entire sermons preached on how it was God's will for God deliberately led the Israelites through the wilderness so they could suffer some. And they, you know, they could develop, you know, and, and, and learn some lessons by, by just barely getting by, you know, just having enough to get by from one day to the next. I've heard that preached. No, it was obviously God's will that they leave the wilderness and go to something better. He'd already provided it. He had already given it to them. No, they didn't fail to possess it because it was God's mysterious way of teaching them something. They failed to possess it because they did not have the faith to go possess it. That's why they, they did not enjoy it because they did not have the faith to possess it. And the Bible says it grieved God. So it was obviously his will for them to go in and possess and enjoy what he had already given them. Now let's turn back a few pages to Numbers. Numbers. Chapter 13. This is this first generation of Israel that God spoke to. He spoke to his covenant people, Israel, about this land. He said, I've searched out the land and I found the best. And I want you to have it. By choice, these people separated themselves into two different groups. And every church and every Christian falls into one of these two groups. The passive, the whiners, the complainers, and the blamers. Or the faith possessors. And we don't want to be in the group that's sitting by, waiting on God, complaining, doing without, and believing that it's all up to God group. That's not the group we want to be in. We want to be in the faith group. We want to be in the possessing group. We want to be the strong group. And this whining, blaming group in numbers had the idea that if it was God's will for them to have it, it would automatically happen. He would automatically give it to them and they would have no involvement in possessing it. And there are still many Christians that believe that. They believe if it's God's will for them to have something, it will automatically happen. They think if it's in the Bible, it will automatically happen. They think it will be instant, and it will be effortless. Is there any pattern in the Bible to suggest that? No. There's no 
There's no precedent in the Bible to suggest that, that if it's God's will, it's just automatically going to happen, and we will have no involvement, you know, uh, no faith required on our part. If, if it's God's will, it will just happen. No. Even when God rained manna down from heaven, I mean supernatural provision, God rained, physically rained manna down from heaven. The people had to get up out of their tents and go out and pick it up. They had some involvement. You know, the, God didn't say, you sit in your tent and the angels will bring your food to your door. You know, I will provide room service. You know? No. Even though God supernaturally provided something, they had to get up and go outside and possess it. So God said to this first generation, that land is yours. Yeah, God, but there are giants over there. He said, what does that matter? I said it's yours. Don't you think God knew there were giants over there before he sent them over there? Was it a shock to God to find out that there were giants over there? No, I don't think so. I think God knew the giants were there when he told them to go over there. The fact that there were other people living there did not change the fact that it was God's uh, will for them to possess it. He said, giants or no giants, I have given it to you. God didn't put the giants there. The devil put the giants there to keep them out of where God wanted them to be. Yeah, God, but it's going to cost 450,000 pounds. So what? I said, it's yours. I said, it's yours. Hallelujah. Yeah, God, but the doctor said, incurable. I said, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Yeah, but the doctor said five out of ten people die with this disease. Yeah, but I said, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Yeah, God, but the lawyer said, those people will never change their mind. What difference does that make? I said, it's yours. When you're looking at the price of something, you're looking at a giant that's trying to keep you from possessing what God has already given when you hear no cure, when you hear you'll have to live with this for the rest of your life, you're looking at a giant that's trying to keep you from possessing what God has already given. Whose report are you going to believe? So once we know what God has already given us, what's next? What's number two step? The hospital, the eye hospital said that I would never see again properly and I should register blind. Um, and if we wanted the money, we would have said yes. But we didn't, we said no. And God has healed my eyesight. Amen. My Bible, I'm seeing you. Amen. You believed a different report, didn't you? Yeah. You believed a different report. Amen. You believe God's report. Amen. Amen. We have to put on our helmet of salvation 
strap on the sword of the spirit, gird up our loins of our mind with truth, put on the gospel of peace, take the shield of faith, and go in and possess. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. He said, above all, take the shield of faith and go then and possess what's ours. Now, somebody might say, well, if God's already provided it, you know, I thought God had already given it to us. Yeah, but what God has provided, we must possess. God's not withholding. We have an adversary. We have an enemy who wants to stop us from possessing what God's given us. We have feelings trying to tell us we don't have it. You're not going to get it. you got to fight it. you got to resist those feelings. you got to tell your unrenewed mind, shut up, and you believe what the Word says, and you quit arguing with me. You stop arguing with me. I'm not going to debate with you all the time in my mind. You shut up and you believe the word of God. You gotta to speak to your mind. You gotta cast down these imaginations. The devil hates God, he hates you because you have the God kind of faith and he wants to dominate you and control you. But folks, all we need to know is that God has already given it to us. Once you know God has already given it to, to you, that is half the battle. That is half of it, right there. When, once you know God has given this to you, it's half the battle. That is the basis of faith. That's how faith comes, by hearing from Him. And when you hear from Him that it's yours, that He's given it to you, now it's time for you to get up and go possess it. Uh, whether, you, whether you find out about it from the written word, or whether he, he speaks to you, uh, you know, you have a witness in your spirit by the Holy Spirit, or both. Uh, you, you, once you've heard from God, whether it's through the written word or, or in your spirit, and you're settled that you've heard from God, that's half the battle right there. So, God did not send this first generation of Israel over to this land to decide if it was God's will for them to have it. He sent them over there to formulate a plan of how we are going to possess it. Not if we can possess it, how are we going to possess it? That's what they were sent over there for. But they came back and they said, No, we discussed this on the way back. We talked about this on the way back, and we, we, we got a committee here, 10 of us formed a committee, and we decided, no, we can't take it. But God, Joshua Caleb says, but God's already given it to us. I know, but we've already discussed it. We can't take it. Which group do you want to be in? The whining, complaining, blaming God, or find out what's yours, believe what God said, and rise up, and possess it. I think the fact that you are sitting in this meeting, 
tells God a whole lot about which group you want to be in. Amen? Amen. The fact that you're sitting in this room tells God a whole lot about which group you're going to be in. Amen. And that's what I, I believe. Hallelujah. God has been waiting for a generation of people who will believe him. They will rise up in faith and they will go in and possess what he has given them, establishing God's covenant in the earth. And I believe Barwit Ministries is supposed to be in this faith group and this Believe in God group that goes up and possesses. Amen? Amen. Now, we are not trying to possess and claim something that does not belong to us. We're not trying to claim and possess something that God doesn't want us to have. You know, what we claim and possess, it has to be based on the Word of God. And we have to know that it already belongs to us as a result of the redemptive work of Jesus. So, you know, you can't just go around claiming something. <clears throat> you know, and people accuse us of that. You just claim this. You just claim that. No, we're not just, we're not just claiming anything. We're claiming what God has already given us. And they think we're being presumptuous because we know what God's given us, and they don't know yet what God's given us, so they think we're just being arrogant. You know, but it's not that. It's just a matter of knowing what belongs to you or what doesn't. But they can find out what belongs to them. That's what I'm believing. People will come in here, and they'll start finding out what belongs to them. And they're going to start possessing. Amen? So, so for you to claim something that, that hasn't been given to you, that's presumption. That's not faith. You know, I, I can't say, Ann, I, I like your handbag. I claim that. No. I, I can't claim it. it. It's not mine. It's yours. It hasn't been given to me. So I can't claim something that hasn't been given to me. I heard uh, Brother Hagen, uh, you know, he, he was teaching on faith and of course you know maybe the first year students didn't quite get it yet you know and he, he had a, um, a Bronco one of these SUVs one of the first SUVs that they made and this one was called a Bronco and it was getting on it wasn't new you know he'd had it a long time but he liked it he enjoyed driving it he didn't want to get rid of it he liked to drive it when the weather was bad you know and he liked this Bronco, and this student sent him a note. And he said, Brother Hagen, I'm claiming your Bronco. <laughs> and Brother Hagen thought it was amusing, you know, because he had been talking to them about faith and how to receive and how to possess, and, you know. And he said, Brother Hagen, I'm, I'm claiming your Bronco. And, uh, you know, Brother Hagen thought it was fu funny, you know. But he said, uh, I'm going to let you drive it through Christmas, and then I'm going to take possession of it. That's what he, he put in his letter, you know. And Brother Hagen was, was laughing about it, you know, because this guy, that's presumption. He's, he's trying to possess something that didn't belong to him. It belonged to Brother Hagen, and Brother Hagen hadn't given it to him, you know. So that's why we're not trying to claim something that doesn't belong to us. We're claiming what, what the Word says God has already given us. So you can't just pull things off the top of your head and say, I claim this and I claim that. That's not what we're teaching, and that's, that's, not, what we're, that's not what the Bible teaches. 
You know, uh, the devil tried to do this one time. He tried to possess something that did not belong to him. He said, I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. He was trying to use the faith principle to speak what he desired. He was trying to claim God's throne, and it didn't belong to him. He had no right to do that. And buddy, did it get him in trouble. <laughs> I mean, he is still in trouble for that, you know. So it didn't turn out very good for him. We're talking about possessing what God's word says has already been given to us. And the reason Christians criticize us for believing and claiming what God has already given us is because they don't know yet the things that belong to them. They just don't know yet. And this is why the first thing we have to find out is what God has already given us. What's the second thing you have to know? How to possess it. How to possess it. That's what we're talking about receiving. And how are you going to possess it? By your faith. That's how you're going to possess what God already says belongs to you. Now turn uh, over to the right, the next book, I think, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. <coughs> Verse 8. Behold, or look, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land. Underline the word possess. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. God is not telling them to go possess a place that he has not given them. The word possess is an action word. It is not a passive word. And to give an idea of how important possessing is to God, the word possess or possessions or some form of this word appears in the Bible, I counted 270 times. I may have missed one or two in there somewhere. But somewhere around 270 times the word possess or possessions is used in the Bible. And when people mock us for claiming and possessing things, they're mocking God because we're reading the Bible. 270 times God said possess, possessions. It's also translated occupy. This is from the concordance. It's also, the, the word possess is also translated occupy. Sometimes you'll see that word used. It means to occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. Driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. It is also translated inherit, to take or to seize. That's very similar to uh, obtain, isn't it? And religious pe people will say, you can't do that. 
Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> you can't do that. God has ordered us to do it. He's commanded us to do it. This theme runs through the Bible at least 270 times. Then over into the New Testament, Jesus said, Occupy till I come. That is not a passive word. That is not sitting around, leaving it all up to God. You could preach a whole sermon on that. Young's literal translation says, Do business until I come. New century version. Do business with this money until I get back. Jesus talking about money and what we're supposed to do with it. Yeah, it's in the Bible. Mark eleven twenty four. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive it. Believe that you take it. Believe that you possess it. This is not vague. This is not vague and it's not general. Paul wrote to Timothy. We've already looked at that scripture. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold. Possess. Old Testament and New Testament. Let's look back here at Deuteronomy 1, verse, uh, let's go over to 21. Behold, or look, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it. Underline the word possess again. As the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee, Fear not. Neither be discouraged. The devil will use fear and discouragement to keep you from possessing what is yours. And he said, I've set the land before you. Go up and possess it. Fear not and don't be discouraged. The generations, uh, you know, God said, if you don't do it, the next generation will. And the generations before us they did not have access to the Word of God like we have. They just didn't. They did not have access to the teaching of God's Word that we have. They didn't know what God had already given them. I mean, unless just by, you know, just by unless God just gave them some supernatural revelation, they just didn't know, much less how to possess it. And weak, passive, confused, religious people teaching the doctrines of men passing it along from one generation to the, ge to the next generation, and the generation after generation, century after century of Christians, not knowing what belongs to them, not knowing how to possess it. And now, here we are, you know, the ungodly have possessed the political offices, the ungodly are making the laws of the land, and the Christians are backed up against the wall, the, the ungodly running the school systems and telling you what your kids will and will not be taught. The ungodly telling the churches what they can and cannot preach. That, that's where we are, folks. We've got to have a, gen, a generation that rises up, and we've got to rise up in faith. We've got to be strong. We've got to possess what the generations before us gave away in ignorance. They just didn't know. I'm not criticizing them. They just didn't know. But, but you know... Nobody should be telling you who you have to employ in your business. Nobody should be telling you, you know, what your kids will and will not be taught in school. 
Nobody should be telling you who you have to hire. You know, the business world, the news media, you know, why aren't Christians in those positions? Why, why aren't we, you know, we're supposed to be ruling and reigning. Why haven't we possessed all these areas? That's why Jesus said, occupy till I come. That's, we're, we're, we're supposed to have these, we're supposed to be in these positions. And we have to be the generation that rises up strong in faith and says, we're going to possess what the generations before us gave away. And I'm believing God that this right here is the beginning of a, a group of thousands and thousands and thousands of believers who are going to rise up strong in faith and they're going to believe God and they're going to go in and they're going to possess their healing and they're going to possess their prosperity and they're going to possess their wisdom and they're going to possess their protection and lay hold of millions of pounds and establish the kingdom of God on this earth now in this lifetime. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. This nation historically is not a nation of wimps and sissies. This, this nation is not historically a nation of wimps and sissies. This historically is a strong, I mean some strong people have, have come up. Amen? And it's time for some more. Amen? And, and we got to be like, Mr. Churchill, you know, we got to grab hold of these things like the bulldog and not let go. You know, you got to you got to not let go. Amen. Hallelujah. We're not going to be sissies. We're not going to be beggars. We're not going to complain and we're not going to make excuses any longer. Amen. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy chapter two, verse 19. And when thou comest nigh over against the children of Ammon, distress them not, nor meddle with them. For I will not give thee of the land of the children of Ammon any possession, because I've given it to the children of Lot for a possession. So he's saying, Ammon over there, leave that alone. I'm not giving it to you. Don't claim it. Leave them alone. And then he goes on in... Um, uh, you know, we talked about not possessing something that God hasn't given you. That's covetousness. When you try to possess something that God has not given to you, that's just coveting what belongs to somebody else. And he said, leave their land alone. I've, I've got a better one for you. So that's why we're led by the Word and we're led by the Spirit who bears witness with our spirit. And we're not listening for audible voices. You know, and when we're led by the Spirit of God, we're, we're not talking about hearing audible voices. We have the Spirit of God who bears witness in our spirit. So you may get your eyes on something and the Lord says, no, leave that alone, it's not yours. Uh, you know, but something else the Lord says, I've given it to you. There may be other people occupying it. And I may have to change the law in order for you to get it. But that can happen. Amen. And if the government has to change for you to get it, then the government will change. Is that a shock to you? Do you think God could change the government in order for something to happen for you? Oh, oh yeah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. If we're believing, and then we know we've heard from God. Amen. Hallelujah. So, if you phone five people and they say no, Phone the sixth one. Phone them again. Phone somebody else. Don't be mean and nasty about it, but just be persistent. You know, don't preach them a sermon. 
Most unbelievers don't understand this. Most Christians don't understand this. They're not going to understand that you're believing God for something, so you don't have to preach them a sermon. They're not going to understand. But don't be mean and nasty about it. But you just turn up again and say, Hi, it's me. I'm back. <laughs> what else do we need to do for this to happen? Isn't that what Moses did with Pharaoh? He walked in to Pharaoh and he said, God told me to come down here and tell you that you're supposed to let us go. And Pharaoh said, no, I'm not letting you go. So Moses goes out. Did that stop him? Did he quit? Did he give up? No. He went back down there again and he says, I'm back down here to tell you that God said, God told me to tell you that you're supposed to let us go. And he did this, I forgot how many times. But one day he walked in there and he said, God's told me to tell you that you're supposed to let us go. And he said, okay, you can go. <laughs> it happened. But it didn't happen the first time. Amen? He had to be persistent. We have to be persistent. So when they tell you 98 times no, go back down there the 99th time. Because if it's God's will for you to, if you know you've heard from God, the 99th time, it will be different. It will be different. Hallelujah. But only if you've heard from the Lord. Uh, verse 24. I think we're in Deuteronomy 2. Uh, Rise up, take your journey, and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given unto thy hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it. Underline the word possess. And contend with him in battle. This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. Verse 31. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have begun to give Sihon and his land before thee begin to possess, underline the word possess again, that thou mayest inherit his land, underline the word inherit. Let's go on over to uh, Deuteronomy 3, verse 3. And the Lord said unto me, fear him not. This is talking about this uh, og. This, this King Og, if you go on down here and read further, his bed was made out of iron. It was over 13 feet long and it was 6 feet wide. This was a big guy. <laughs> 13 feet long and 6 feet wide. That's the first king-size bed, wasn't it? I mean, that was really a king-size bed. Verse 3, Fear him not, for I will deliver him and all his people and his land into thy hand. And thou shalt do unto him as thou didst unto Sihon, king of, of the Amorites, which dwell at Heshbon. So the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og also, and the king of Bashan, and all his people. And we smote him until nothing was left to him remaining. And we took all his cities. Underline the word took. We took all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we took not. 
for them, three score cities. What, twin, uh, three score, is that 60? Yeah, 60 cities. Hallelujah. You know, these are the giants that stopped the first generation. When the first generation saw these giants, they stopped. When they saw the walled cities, they stopped. When they saw the iron chariots, they said, we cannot do it. It's not ours, it can't be ours, and it's not going to be ours. That's what they said. The giants and the chariots and the walled cities did not keep them out. Their lack of faith to possess it is what kept them out. So, or, or have you held your place over in Numbers 13? It's just the, uh, the next book back there to the left. Numbers 13. You know, the story God sent the, the, the uh, spies over. He said, I found the perfect land. It's got wells. It's got spring of waters. It's got orchards, fruit trees, vineyards. There's more there than you could ever want. Go over there and bring some fruit back. And they did. And it took two men to carry back one cluster of grapes. Uh, Numbers 13, verse 25. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and to the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land, uh, whether thou sinnest, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. They came back with this fruit and they said, What God told us about the land is true. It is a good land. Everything he said was there is there. The wells, the vineyards, the springs, the rivers, everything he said is true. The abundance, and we brought back some grapes just to prove it to you. Everything he said. But, you know, if, if everything God said about the land was true, why wouldn't everything else he said be true? If, 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 if what he said was true that that the land is good, then why wouldn't it be true that they could take it? Verse um, 28. Nevertheless. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, it's a good land. We brought everything God said about it is true. Nevertheless. But. Yeah, you got it, Aileen. But, but the people be strong that dwell in the land. But there are walled cities, very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. When you hear somebody say, yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, but you're never going to hear a faith statement after that. It's never going to be followed by faith. It's always going to be a statement of doubt and unbelief. Yeah, I know that's what Jesus said, but... You'll never hear anybody say, I believe 
you know, I believe it's God's will to heal, but he never heals me. You won't ever hear anybody say that. So when they said, nevertheless, or but, they were saying, what God said about the land is true. What he said about it being a good land is true. But what he said about being ours and that we can take it is not true. This is evil in the eyes and the ears of the Lord. And when people say healing in the Holy Spirit is not for everybody, they're calling God a liar. And I know that's strong, but, you know, God took this pretty personal here. <laughs> he took this pretty personal that they, that they were saying what he said was not true. You know, like, God, we've been there, and you haven't. We know what's there, and you haven't. No, God knew what was there before he sent them over there. Amen. So when, you know, God has never been wrong about anything. And he's right about these things being good, and he's right about them being yours. Verse 28. Nevertheless, but the people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell in the sea by the coast of Jordan. These giants are everywhere. These ites are everywhere. They are everywhere. We saw them. And they interpreted this to mean it's not ours. We saw these giants. We saw the wall cities. That means it's not ours. It's theirs, and it's going to stay theirs. And there are people who agree healing is real, and God can heal. But I guess it's not for me. I know God can bless people, but I guess it's just not his will for me. No, that has never been the issue. The issue is... Do they have the faith and the revelation to receive it? That's the issue. That's the issue. And that's why we're teaching the Word. That's why we're, we're learning what belongs to us. We're getting revelation of what belongs to us. It takes fight to fight the good fight of faith and do combat with the giants. You know, and weak, passive people, you know, that just say, well, you know, I, I just don't like conflict and, and I'm just not an aggressive person you know and I just you know they're going to do without I went to a birthday party one time at church where I was going to in London and this girl had a birthday party and she invited a girl who was a Christian and, and uh, she's, this girl had actually taken her to church where she got born again but that's kind of where they finished you know you, you get, you're going to heaven and that's it. And I remember this girl saying, you know, like talking to, to us, not that this was necessarily a real, what you'd call a faith church, but, you know, she said, I just don't understand why you have to, to yell at the devil. <laughs> and and the, the, the pastor was sitting there, and he said, if you looked out the, your kitchen window... And you saw Josh, you know, if you, if you looked out your kitchen window, Greg and Joanne, and you saw Joshua playing outside, and this 
German Shepherd dog comes, or, or what do you call those, Dobermans or whatever, something, uh, pit bull or whatever, comes and jumps on him and starts ripping him left and right. Are you going to tell me that you would stand there and say, well, I just don't like conflict. I'm just not an aggressive person, you know. I, you know, I guess God, it's God's will for this to happen and we're supposed to learn something. No, you'd be tearing out of that house. I mean, Joanne would, yeah, Joanne would drop Lily and I mean, shoot me out there and she would rip that dog. That dog would, would, would wish he'd never even thought about touching Joshua. And that, folks, that's what we're dealing with. The devil is a mad dog. And he will still kill and destroy. And you cannot be a weak, little passive, you know, uh, sissy. That's why we talk to him strong. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God, I've already lost my place. <laughs> Let's, um, it's worked for me. All you're saying, it has worked for me. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Me too. That's why I like to talk about it. <laughs> but it's the Word. It's the Word of God. Uh, let's go Numbers 1330. And Caleb stilled the people. He said, stop it. Be quiet. Hush. Stop this whining. Stop this complaining. Be quiet. Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. One translation says, we should attack now and take the land. We are strong enough to conquer it. Another translation says, we should go up and take the land for ourselves. We can easily take that land. Now this is faith and this is what pleases God. Let's say this out loud. I am well able, I am well able to take my healing. I am well able to take my prosperity. I can take it and I am well able by the Spirit of the Lord I can take it. Verse 32 And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof and all the people we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. That was a true statement. In their sight, they were grasshoppers. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. They talked about being grasshoppers. That's all they talked about. That's why they saw themselves as grasshoppers. Then they said, and so were we in their sight. That was not a true statement. That was not a true statement. We have, in Joshua 2, we have Rahab's account of this very same story. And this is what Rahab said to the spies when they came to spy out the land. She said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we heard 
how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what he did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, we've already read about them, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Does her account of this story sound like that they saw the Israelites as grasshoppers? No. They were, they were ready to lay down their weapons and run. That's the truth. They were ready to lay down their weapons and run. Hallelujah. No, they were scared. When they heard how God parted the Red Sea and gave them victory on their enemies, they said, we don't stand a chance against these people. We might as well just get out of here. No. But Rahab knew, she knew they were going to take that land. That's why she surrendered to them when they came. And she said, when you come, spare me and my family. You know, we, we want to be on your side. You know, we know you're going to take this land. Everybody's heart here has melted. That's why she surrendered. So, I don't care how big the giants are, God is bigger. I don't care how much money it is, God is bigger. I don't care how rare and incurable it is, God is bigger. God is bigger and he is stronger, but he just needs somebody who will rise up and believe him and show up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're about to, we're finishing up here. Numbers 14, 6. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were with them that searched the land, rent their clothes. When they heard all this crying and whining and complaining and blaming, they, they, they started tearing their clothes. They said, God, deliver us from these whiners and complainers. Three million of them. <laughs> I mean, three million of them, all in harmony. These two men had just come back from the land. They had already seen what belonged to them. They were already making plans about what they were going to do when they went back. And they were saying, okay, who's coming with us? Joshua said, who's coming with me? I'm building my house right over there. And Caleb said, you remember that mountain range we saw right on the lake? I'm going to build my house there on the lake. They're already making plans about what they're going to do when they go, when they go back. And then what did the people say? Moses, you're just so hard. And Joshua, you're just so hard. And, and God brought us out here to kill us. He knew there were giants over there. He brought us out here to kill us. That's what they said. That's what they said. Moses, it's all your fault. Joshua, it's your fault. It's your fault those giants are over there. We're going to choose us another leader, and we're going back to Egypt. And this is what Joshua and Caleb had to deal with. Three million of them. And they cried and they whined all night long in their tents. This is not fair and we don't deserve this. 
Why did God bring us out here? Just to kill us. We can't take that land. There are giants over there. Didn't you see them? Didn't you hear what those people said? They just came back. Didn't you hear what they said? They're going to smash us. We don't stand a chance. They would not go in. Verse 7 and 8. And they spake unto the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search, it's an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. But they would not do it. And Hebrews 3 account of this story says, They had a hardened heart. They could not enter in because of their unbelief. And unbelief is the result of a hardened heart. And the ten men who lied about God died on the spot. And the rest of them wandered around out in the wilderness for 40 years, not because it was God's will, but because they did not have the faith to possess it. But the next generation was different. And they got tired of the sand. They got tired of living in the desert. And they said, God has got something better for us than this. And they were thankful for the manna. But they said, you know, we, we could really use something else in our diet. <laughs> you know, some ice cream would be good, you know, some steak. And, and you know, uh, hot fudge Sunday once in a while, but they were thankful for the manna. And when that unbelieving group died off, Joshua and Caleb were still alive. And they went in and they took the land. It didn't just fall in their lap with no effort. The very first town, they had to march around it seven times. The very first town. They had to keep on. They had to fight and regroup and fight. They didn't take it all in two weeks. They had to keep on. They had to endure hardness. They possessed little by little until they lived in the land that flowed with milk and honey. They enjoyed the riches. They enjoyed the houses. They enjoyed the vineyards. And they enjoyed the blessing of God because they had the faith to go in and possess it. Amen? Hallelujah. We're possessors of the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? Let's say this together. I'm a faith person. I'm, a faith person. I'm not a complainer. I'm not a whiner. I'm not a blamer. I'm a possessor. Amen. Hallelujah. So 